0: This is the 10 Minute Contrarian Podcast. This is VP. We are a solutions-based podcast diving into the world of contrarian investing and alternative finance. You can find us hosted on the No Nonsense Forex YouTube channel, nononsenseforex.com, and podcast players everywhere. Episode 71 is brought to us by Bybit. Now, for the remainder of October, we have a very special promotion that is only available to people who use my link. It is a 2000 USDT giveaway, so 2000 US dollars, available to new signups. Here's what you have to do. You sign up using my link, which is down in the blog post that I always include in the show notes. You have to deposit at least $10 and execute one trade on their spot market. So you can buy crypto, sell crypto, whatever you need to do. And this will make you eligible. Now for existing traders, there's something there for you as well. 20 of you will be eligible for a 50 USDT giveaway. Now this is completely random, but you have to be somebody who is already actively trading on the site. So if you wake up one morning and log in and wonder where that 50 USDT came from, this is it. But you can't win if you don't play. So click the link down below in the show notes and get yourself started. It is the 10-Minute Contrarian Podcast, and I may have said this in the past, um, but depending on how things shake out, this could be one of the most important episodes I ever do, uh, because it directly affects everybody. Uh, If you remember the blog I did a while back called The Six Crises, and I've referenced it many times since. You know, These are crises that will not affect everybody, but this affects everybody who has a bank account, so it's even uh, probably more important. Now, on that blog... I didn't even mention the possibility of this. Uh, So there were six major crises. um, We added a seventh, which is more wars. And then we added an eighth, which was a China collapse and what that would do to the rest of the economy. A banking collapse is something completely different altogether. Now, the mere thought of this sounds absurd to most people. I mean, worldwide, or at least nationwide here in the States, I don't think we've had one since the the early 1900s where J.P. Morgan had to come in and bail everybody out, and I think that was the beginning of the Fed. Like, that was major, right? And we, we have measures in place to make sure things like this don't happen, at least in the United States. So to most people in most places in the developed world, you know, a banking collapse just doesn't even sound like a remote possibility. We have been taught ever since we were young, that if there's one thing we can count on, is that banks are there to protect our money. You know, we don't have to sit there like lunatics holding copious amounts of cash and storing it in our walls like Breaking Bad. Like, we can put it all there, and they will hold it for us, and they will not lose it. And if we ever want it, we can have it back. Uh, Now, unfortunately, at its core, that is not how modern banking works. And I would wager to say that because you guys are who you are, my audience has a higher percentage of people who understand how this whole process goes down. Uh, But if you don't, and you would like to educate other people, for the most part, what happens when you give your money to a bank? It no longer officially becomes your money. By the letter of the agreement you signed with the bank long ago, they have the right to take your money and lend it out to other people and they also have the right to invest your money however they see fit, and often in a very leveraged fashion. That's right. Now, you ask your average person if they're aware of this, and they have no idea. I would wager to say worldwide we're talking probably 99% on up. You know, Don't understand that this is how modern banking works. They think they put their money there, and their money stays there, and when they want it, they just get it back. But this has not been the way for a very long time. Uh, now, you would hope if they're going to invest your money that they would do it prudently. But uh, at one point in time, this is probably the way they did it. But as things have gotten a lot more laxed over time, and how banks realize that somebody is going to bail them out if they fall apart, you know, this level of prudence has completely gone out the window in many cases. Now, did you just give your money to Three Arrows Capital? Well, maybe not. Hopefully not. Uh, But when things get so unchecked over time, you can't rule stuff like this out. Now, one of the main things that has changed in many countries, United States included, is if they do need to be bailed out, who bails them out? It used to be the government. In many cases, now it no longer is. Now it's you, the depositors. It's called a bank bail-in. And this is now the norm for many banks in the United States. I'm not sure about other countries. Uh, But you owe it to yourself to find out. Uh, Now, if you want more information on this, uh, the show notes, as usual, is going to be stacked with great places you can go to learn more. Uh, And I will talk about this a bit more as the episode progresses. Uh, But up until this decade, the idea of any banking system collapsing in most countries was laughable. Uh, But... This decade, and especially recently in the past two weeks, we have seen very visible and very public cracks in the veneer. And so this episode, we're going to break down three of those and try to answer the question, is this really as severe as many people fear it is? And if that answer is yes, what can we do about it? As always, this is a solutions-based podcast. It's not going to sound like that for the majority, but we will certainly get there. Have no fear. Now, there will be two overarching takeaways from this episode. And the first one, and I think this is very important, is I don't know how keyed in you are to the financial space. You know, if you have Twitter and you follow the right people, you're fine. But I know a lot of you don't do that, which is really weird. You know, if you're just waiting on me to tell you something, you're doing it wrong you need to be plugged into the right social media channels, whether that's Twitter or YouTube. But when you go to those places and these stories come out, one of the biggest takeaways I want you to get from this episode is to not be too reactive. As severe as the news may sound, take a deep breath, take a step back, and allow these things to play out a little bit before you take any real action. Because it's often not what you think it is when you first hear it. And in all three examples I am going to present to you, that was the case, oddly enough. Now this is going to be hard to do because a lot of people you follow on YouTube or Twitter are going to violate this rule and flip the fuck out and be super reactive. And these are people with large followings. You know They have earned your respect over time. And even they're flipping out. You know, just because they are a good source of information does not mean they have the right psychology in place. And let's be honest, a lot of them do it for numbers. So just remember that going forward. I can remember the first time Elon Musk was going to buy Twitter. Every conservative and every libertarian on my Twitter feed threw a gigantic party the day they heard the news. And I feel like I was the only person saying, guys, I think... We're celebrating a bit too early. Like, do you know what all has to happen before this sale actually goes final? You know, don't pop the champagne cork just yet. Because if anybody's ever drank champagne, once you pop that cork, you can't get it back in the bottle. And once that initial deal eventually fell apart, all these people looked like complete buffoons for celebrating. You know, they were all celebrating victory in the first five minutes of the game. Who does that? So dumb. You know, and now that it looks like he's going to buy it again, uh, they've all learned their lesson. You know, almost nobody's celebrating at this point. Uh, and it's really strange, too. Everybody over at Twitter HQ you know, who were freaking out the first time are not freaking out this time. So I, I wonder what's really going on there. It's something to follow. Yeah, but it's been really funny watching the difference in sentiment between the first announcement and the second announcement. Do not be too reactive when you hear these things. So example one would be a story that's more two weeks ago than it is one week ago and that would be with Credit Suisse. Now they, you know, I'm going to link a a better story to this down below. Uh, Kyla Scanlon did a really great uh, about five, six minute piece on this. Uh, So I really don't have to. but. Basically, their credit rating was not what we thought it was. They were a lot more underwater than we thought they were. Um, Now, if this was some random bank in a random country, this would not be a big deal. But this is Credit Suisse. Now, if you don't know, before Cayman Islands and Singapore really came online as a place for ultra-rich people to put their money, it was mostly Swiss banks. That was the end game for most people who became rich over time. And then slowly over the years, Liechtenstein came online as well for this. But they're so close to Switzerland, they pretty much all lumped them together as Swiss banks. You know, if you had a Swiss bank account, you officially made it because that was the top tier. You know, you could very well be dealing with a seventh generation banker who's looking after your money. And Credit Suisse is the most front facing of all those banks. So if they're in trouble, what does that say about every other bank? That's not at the perceived level that Swiss banks are. There's people out there that thought, shoot, you know, if this bank's going down, we're all going down. Now, please click on the Kyla Scanlon video down below to get the truth here. It wasn't as bad as they said it was at the end of the day. It wasn't good. Like, she forecasted about a 5% chance of failure, which is lower than expected, but I still think that's pretty high. Uh, Now, I hate the parachute analogy. They're like, oh, would you jump out of a plane if the parachute had a 95% chance of opening? That's a stupid comparison. Uh, 100% is the only number that's good enough in that particular scenario. I would say, let's say you were diagnosed with something that gave you a 95% chance of survival. Now, you would feel pretty decent about that, but there would still be a concern. And so I think Probably that's where I feel like people should be with Credit Suisse. This is definitely a story worth staying on top of. It's kind of faded away, but the problems they are facing have not. And Credit Suisse failing does not mean every other bank is going to fail. But the sentiment and what that does and how people react to it is going to have quite an impact on the economy and the banking system both. But worldwide, there was a reaction to this. You know, a lot of people went out and bought gold and gold spiked in those couple days after the news. Uh, But then it went right back down. You know, so it just goes to show. You know, listen to the news, absorb the news, but you don't have to react to the news the moment it comes out. Because there's usually more to the story that comes out later. Because if you're prepared and you've taken action and you're early, then a lot of the stuff isn't even going to apply to you. Now, in the United States... Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and Kanye West had a bit of a falling out on the heels of an interview that Kanye had with Tucker Carlson. You know, Kanye, as always, speaks his mind and had some pretty controversial things to say. Soon after, J.P. Morgan Chase sends him a letter saying you need to close your account because of the things you have said. And again, the libertarians go bonkers. Now, don't get me wrong. I am a huge free speech advocate, and I hate what is going on right now. I hate the fact that it's being allowed, and I hope that judgment and retribution someday will be very swift. But I also try to look at things objectively, and I try not to react to things when I first see them. And it's a good thing I didn't do that here, because whether or not you think this is excusable behavior, Um, another piece of evidence came out later showing a Kanye track. Where he went directly after his own bank, which is JP Morgan Chase. Now I don't think as a bank that you should have to sit there and take that. You know, so maybe because Kanye has so much money, they let it slide at first and just kind of put him on double secret probation and just said, Okay, one more little thing, and you're gone. And they use that interview as the reason why. But now the bigger issue at hand here is Up until the last couple of years, you know, banks could not shut you down for simply saying or doing legal things that they disagreed with. But we have seen this a few times already in past years, whether it's in Canada or the United States. Two countries that have been known to be bastions of democracy, you know, have shown that if they want to, you know, they will go third world communist dictatorship on you. If you don't fall in line with their way of thinking, you know, this is concerning to a lot of people and it should be because as I have said before, even if you agree with their line of thinking, you are one election away from all of that changing. So we should all be in agreement here when we say that these actions should not be allowed at all. You know, maybe on an individual case by case basis, some of them might be justified, but this is a really slippery slope. And this is a Pandora's box that I think has finally been opened just enough to where the writing is officially on the wall here. Now let's use this to transition into example number three, which is probably the most flagrant foul out of all of them, and that's going to be PayPal. If this is the first time you're hearing about what PayPal did, then your sources officially suck. You need either new ones or you need to stop being lazy and get actual financial sources here now because this even went semi-mainstream now it didn't go full mainstream because a lot of mainstream media doesn't want you to know about things like this uh, now paypal is more of a processor than a bank but they're very bank-like in many ways and they came out with a change to their terms and conditions that and i'm totally paraphrasing here but anybody who decides to publicly spread misinformation now we've seen these misinformation campaigns before. But anybody who decides to do it from this point forward is subject to a $2,500 fine. Now, if you've never used PayPal, you connect them to a bank account. So they have, as long as they're connected to that account, they have access to it. And if they don't like something you have said or done, they can reach into that account and yank up to $2,500 out of it. Absolute insanity. Twitter was hitting the roof on this one. Now, again, about a day later, they came out and said, LOL, just kidding. We didn't really mean it, which is complete horseshit because if you're a company that big, you have hired lawyers to come in and you have spoken to them at length about what you want in your terms and conditions and they sat there and crafted them for you. (laughs) It was 100% premeditated and intentional. Uh, now, Now, PayPal has been a not very loved product for a lot of people who have used it for business you know as somebody who has had businesses in the past i will say i've actually never had a problem with them and i found their customer service to be very good but i am in a huge minority there one of the things they will always tell you when you first start is it says if you're using paypal take your money out of it at least once a week because they can freeze that money at any time for the most cockamamie reasons you have ever heard and you will not get a swift answer from customer service and then your money's just stuck you know you, you don't even have access to it you know, and a response might be we'll just use another processor well look back in the 2010s if you're not using square or paypal or a combination of both then you were intentionally passing on a lot of business you don't want to go to a customer and say hey use this other you know farly lesser known payment gateway instead you can't take that risk because most people aren't going to want to do that so you were pretty much stuck with square and paypal and had to bend to the whim of you know anything they wanted to do to you you know and these were companies that started out really great but as people left and management changed they stopped being that way you know, even today, you know, my mother and father have PayPal, and if they ever need money, that's probably the best way for me to send it to them. You know, they're not going to learn Zelle or crypto at this point, uh, and then Venmo is owned by the same people who own PayPal, same processor. You know, so a lot of people, even today, don't have a whole lot of other routes to go, especially if you're running e-commerce or really any kind of online business. Uh, But here is my theory on this, and you can call it a conspiracy theory or just a standard theory, whatever the case is. But um, I don't think PayPal ever had any real intention of doing this, at least not now. You know, that was just a weather balloon. How much are people going to fight back? We want that information. We want that data. But when I say we, I don't mean PayPal. PayPal did not really want to do something like this because why on earth would you do something that would be so actively damaging to your business? After your stock has already cratered, by the way. I remember when DuckDuckGo did this, DuckDuckGo was supposed to be like the privacy browser for all. You know, It was the anti-Google and then one day one of the people who founded the company comes on Twitter and says, hey. I think it's really important that we take a stand against misinformation and all this stuff that was just so anti-duck-duck-go at the time. It's like, why would you do that? Why would you commit business harikari because of your own perceived moral stance? It just made no sense whatsoever. And I want you guys to really think of going forward. You see so many things that just don't make any sense, and it seems so stupid. It's like, you know, why is Jerome Powell so stupid? Why is he making all of these dumb decisions in a row? Why is Europe and Germany being so stupid when it comes to energy? You know, why is PayPal doing something so stupid, and so damaging to their business? You know, the stuff drives people crazy because it just doesn't make sense to any rational thinking human being, right? Uh, but let me tell you why. It's because at the end of the day, it's not their decision. I think most people believe that banks and heads of state and the head of the Fed, you know, they think those people are at the top of the food chain when it comes to decision making. I would argue that they are certainly not. There is at least one layer above that. And I got to give them credit; they have done such a bang-up job of exhibiting absolute control over political figures in the most powerful countries in the world, and the entire banking system, and most of corporate America, to the point to where they really have all of these people and all of these companies by the balls. And I think these are where the decisions are coming from because they know. Like I said, these people actually are very smart. They know. That there's not enough of us to make a whole lot of noise about stuff like this. You know, so it's going to go unnoticed. Now we've talked in the past, you know, that could this be a controlled demolition of our economy? I absolutely think it is, and I can absolutely see the cases of why they would want to do that. Because it makes us poorer and them richer, thus giving them and the generations that come after them a lot more power. So I know this might not make you feel a whole lot better, <laughs> but at least, if you, I think if you can see things through this particular lens, you will have a tendency to not be so reactive when you hear these stories and how ludicrous they are. You know, At least if you can maybe understand the reason why they're happening. And now I could be totally wrong about this, but I don't think I'm wrong about this. But at least you won't run around with your hair on fire, like some people I know, and say, God, this is so stupid, it makes no sense. Uh, If you're actually looking at it through the lens that I'm looking at it, it actually does make a lot of sense. And when I think you have a better understanding of what's going on at the core, then I think it's a lot easier to prepare yourself and take action for two reasons. One, you have a better idea of what's actually going on behind the scenes. And two, this means you're going to be less reactive, which means you're going to be less emotional, which means you're going to be able to make better decisions. You know, every episode you have listened to up until this point is going to be rather useless if the bank that you have all of your money in fails, you cannot get your money out of it, and you are also responsible for bailing them out. Like I said, to most people sounds completely ridiculous because this has always been the safest place to put our money, but you need to be prepared for that whole idea changing. Now, I have mentioned a lot of these solutions in the past on this podcast and on Twitter and on the blog, but let's kind of put it all together and sum it up for you. Now, instead of having one bank account, I have many, and I have them domiciled in different countries, which I think is very important, not only for legal tax reasons, but simply for diversification reasons. You know, if any of these banks are starting to teeter and make me lose confidence, in a matter of two business days, I can transfer some or all of that money to a different bank that is not showing any of these tendencies. You know, that that's a weird you know, fear with a lot of people. Well, what if one of those banks fails or gets taken over by another country? Like, I'll have enough time to move my money out of there. Uh, or at least I should. You know, these things usually don't just happen overnight. There are telltale signs, which we have seen in the last couple weeks, that can at least put me on alert. And I can start deciding if I want to take action or not. Another thing I think everybody needs to do is hold a lot of cash. Your bank branch does not have a lot of it. In some cases in the United States, I know, they are not legally required to have any. They need to have some in the ATM, but the actual bank itself... And nowadays, it's getting even harder in the United States to actually withdraw certain amounts that you were able to withdraw not even a year ago. Um, Another source I'm going to give you that a lot of you already know, it's the Economic Ninja. He is very boots on the ground with a lot of this stuff, and he has some really good information on this. I will provide you a link to one of the videos in question uh, down below in the show notes as well. And I guess while I'm on the topic, I'm going to add one other person. Somebody I actually just kind of discovered recently, and that's Michael Cowan. Uh, He's an Aussie that does a lot of stuff in Australia and America in terms of things that we need to be looking out for. So if you just want a third source, you know, understand that these people are on the extreme end of the spectrum when it comes to caution. But by the same token, these are the same people who will be sounding the warning bells first. And being aware of these things first is very important. So hold a lot of cash. It may seem a bit uncomfortable to have that much in your home, but just understand you're probably not going to get robbed unless you let a bunch of people know that you have cash in your home. And if I'm wrong, and if you ever need to put it back in the bank, you just put it back in the bank. I don't see what the problem is here. You know, the problem is not being able to access that cash should you need it. Now, outside of the traditional banking system, you can go two other ways that I'm aware of, and one of those is gold. You know, I have an offshore gold account that pretty much acts like a bullion bank. You know, if you wanted to, you can take out loans and things like that. They do a lot of things that banks do. Um, And at any point in time, I can liquidate my gold for cash. Um, But this place is not an actual bank bank that does all the crooked things that banks can do to get themselves in trouble. And I really like the idea of that. You know, people think you put your money in gold, it's just going to stay there forever and you can't do anything with it. That's nonsense. I can liquidate that stuff tomorrow. You know, there's nothing to fear here. And by the same token, there's a little more to fear just because of what it is. But I think the blockchain is a great refuge from all of the nonsense going on here. Now, there are inherent risks with these platforms as well. I get that. But with Crypto.com and their Visa debit card, I can just take the stable coins I have and funnel that into the card and just spend it that way. So if any bank wants to get cute and shut me down for whatever reason, you know, I can still go on living my life that way. I really do think, not financial advice, that one of your banks should be a blockchain bank. Whether it's centralized or decentralized, that is going to be up to you. There are varying degrees of risk depending on which way you go. And these routes have always been seen more risky than putting it in a traditional bank. Probably still is. But in this particular case, we are looking more towards the future than we are the present. So out of the two takeaways, the first one was to not be overly reactive. But the second one is to still take action. You know, you can, you can still adhere to both. You know, don't be too reactive, but don't be too laid back at the same time. Just say, oh, you know, I'll do something, you know, if things get bad. Well, by then it's going to be too late because everybody's going to want to do it. And banks will shut that shit down immediately. You know, I really feel like if you're going to be completely safe or as safe as possible with the money you have, and again, this was never a problem before, but it very well could be now, you may have to do a few things that could be perceived as a bit crazy, and you are absolutely going to have to do them early.